0: From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, Youth Stories from Quarantine, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID 19 pandemic. We're bringing you stories, interviews, and audio diaries from socially distanced teenagers and young adults. I'm ATME producer Ryan Danegal, recording this from my home studio since the ATME studio is still closed. It's been a year since the pandemic's forced schools in Alaska to close their doors and switch to remote learning. Slowly but surely, though, students are returning to in-person classes. In January, pre-K through second grade, along with some special needs programs, returned, followed by the rest of the elementary grades in February. On March 15th, middle and high school students are scheduled to return. So in today's episode, we're going to hear from two administrators from the Anchorage School District. Tim Andrews, a director in elementary education, and Joe Zawadney, director of secondary education. They talk about how in-person classes have been going for younger grades, what schools will look like for middle and high schoolers, and the option that the district provides for families who aren't ready to send their kids back yet. Here's At Me senior producer Quinn White speaking with Tim Andrew.
1: So over the summer, ASD was hoping to reopen schools in the fall, but obviously that didn't happen. So what's changed that has allowed you to bring students and teachers back into classrooms?
2: Right. Um, Well, there have been a number of things, but I think the the primary things are the layered mitigation strategies that we've uh, put in place. We have schools that have developed uh, health and safety plans. Uh, These are posted on the Anchorage School District website for uh, public uh, communication. They can view those plans and read them. Uh, We have uh, health screening protocols in place, mandatory masking uh, for students and staff, and that includes at recess. Students can remove those masks, obviously, for lunchtime. Uh, Physical distancing is another component of uh, that mitigation uh, strategies. Um, We've got barriers in classrooms, uh, desktop barriers, floor barriers, uh, particularly in situations where we can't get a full six feet of distance between students. Uh, and then we minimize student movement outside of classrooms. So we try to keep students in the classroom as much as possible so that they're not intermingling and, uh, and uh, s- sort of a cohort um, sense of, of keeping kids together and also minimizing contact from other staff as much as possible, so students aren't going to uh, their uh, their special classes like music, PE, and art. Uh, they may have some of those activities happening in the classroom, uh, but we're not sending students throughout the building to go to those places. <clears throat> so we're trying to minimize the traffic in the in the hallways and that sort of thing. We also in hallways where we have students um, uh, traveling there. It's directional, and it was in the past too, but now we have visual cues to allow um, uh, those reminders on the floor to have kids stay to the right and um, and to maintain um, uh, social distance when they're in the hallway using mummy arms and and that sort of thing. Uh, Then we also have um, hand washing, you know, hand hygiene and uh, disinfecting protocols to help um, uh, minimize the potential of spread of, of any germs and, and that sort of thing. And then finally, uh, contact tracing in the event of a positive case. We have uh, processes in place uh, when we have a, a positive contact uh, that the school leadership and the school nurse work to uh, help determine uh, the, the potential close contacts and then notify those uh, potential close contacts to um, let people know who needs to quarantine and what uh, what the learning situation may look like if that's the case.
1: So can you tell me about how all of last year's false starts with um, sending kids back into school affected the plans for reopening this year?
2: Um, well, I think we've learned a lot along the way. Uh, you see that in guidance from the CDC. You see that from um, national leadership Um uh, from Dr. Fauci, we uh, we have been learning a lot about uh, this this virus and uh, the disease uh, over the course of this year, and uh, and we've uh, you know been flexible with our with our response based on what we have uh, learned as we've learned more about it. And, uh, and then we've also been looking at uh, our, our local community situation, but the CDC um, really takes a classroom-centric approach to um, uh, trying to have kids come back to in-person learning when we can do so safely. And, um, uh, and, and that we should, we should consider those, uh, the, the in-person classroom instruction Uh, you know, maybe even over uh, sports and other activities. And we certainly have done that at the elementary level uh, where we, we started out um, with knowing that we weren't going to be doing any after school programs and that sort of thing. Um, But as, as, uh, um, as we got into November of last year, we decided to, uh try to bring some limited numbers of students into face-to-face uh for uh, optional tutoring sessions and uh and that that uh, allowed us to um, put into practice the mitigation procedures that we had planned for and to also test the 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 response plans that we had in place for uh, situations where we had close contacts or uh, COVID-positive uh, students or staff, and and uh, kick the tires with those processes and procedures while we're uh, supporting student learning because uh, it has been impactful. We've our our teachers have been incredibly flexible, as have families and students in trying to do the best uh, we can with remote learning. Um, but I don't think anyone believes that it's been uh, a perfect substitute for in-person learning. And so uh, when we had an opportunity to bring uh, stu- some students back for some some tutoring, uh, we found that uh, things went very smoothly and, uh, and we saw significant gains for students uh, academically who participated in that tutoring process. So that really gave us confidence to uh, think uh, more about about coming back in our phased approach, bringing um, kindergarten through, um, excuse me, uh, preschool through second grade uh, back on January the 19th. And then we've had uh, sixth grade back, uh, sorry, third through sixth grade back now for um, almost two full weeks.
1: How do you determine which students are able to learn online versus which need in-person learning the most?
2: Right. Well, um, it it really is a family decision. Uh, We we recognize that we are making the opportunity available for all students to come back for in-person learning. If uh, families feel for whatever reason that their uh, child should not come back to in-person learning, um, maybe it's because uh, their work schedule uh, is, is uh, uh, requiring more flexible instructional needs uh, or instructional times. then we have uh, some some options there. ASD virtual is is a new option that uh, was was rolled out at the beginning of this school year. And um, it's, uh, as you're probably aware, it's a an online uh, homeschool-based system uh, or, or, or model. It's an option that we are making available, um, but it is homeschool, and so it does require a fair bit of support from uh, the, the family at home to help uh, guide uh, this, the student's learning, even though they're using uh, online curriculum and, and that sort of thing. Um, some schools have been able to uh, maintain a, uh, an online in- instructional presence, and, and we would call it a synchronous learning opportunity. Synchronous meaning the teacher is actually teaching live to students. And um, so if, if, if we're talking about in-person learning, that's synchronous learning because the teacher is teaching live to those students. Um, but in a, a handful of cases, there are schools that uh, had the staffing uh, ability and the number of uh, families that were interested in continuing uh, learning from home uh, that they could dedicate some staff to continue synchronous learning using zoom and and uh, and then other asynchronous tools to provide that learning opportunity for those families so it, it, the short answer to your question is that it's really up to the families uh, if families have questions about uh what what might be best for their child we are certainly ready and willing to engage in conversation with them about that um, and let them know what are what the options are and the differences between those options but the bottom line is it's it's a family decision as to as to whether students return to in-person learning or whether they move to asd virtual or uh, if they're in one of the other schools that happens to have uh, one of these other online um, synchronous learning options, um, whether they continue in those.
1: How have elementary students' grades been affected by remote learning? And is there a plan to help students who may have fallen behind to get back on track?
2: Yeah, so um, thinking thinking less about grades and thinking more about learning progress, um, I think uh, there's no question that uh, that many students have um, experienced less learning progress than we would have expected uh, if we were in a non-pandemic time and we had students in in-person learning the entire time over the last year. Uh, but um, there there are some students that have, have excelled in various ways uh, through the pandemic in remote learning, but uh, the majority um, have, have done the best they could. With uh, the learning opportunities they had available, and um, what we are doing is uh, one uh, one thing that I mentioned before is offering those uh, after-school uh, tutoring opportunities that we started back in November, and and those have certainly helped. We continue to provide not only uh, strong core instruction in our in-person learning, but also. Uh, Uh, time for interventions and additional practice and support so we're providing those supports uh, to students in person right now and then we're also as a district uh, looking at a very robust uh, summer school or summer learning programs for uh, for students uh, after after school is officially out so that we can help folks uh, catch up that that feel like they need it.
1: Can you tell me about not only some of your worries, but some of the things that you're excited about with schools reopening?
2: Um, I I will say the, um, just getting kids back in person um, and, and, and their excitement to be with their friends, in class, in school, um, in that routine, getting outside to play at recess with their friends, it is, it is different, but familiar for many of our, many of our students. Um, and our, our staff have said the same thing. Number one, it's been extremely smooth. The, uh, the return to in-person learning, uh, both in pre-K through two, and then with, uh, three through six coming back has been very, very smooth, um, People uh, are aware of the routines, and we've also uh, encouraged uh, from the elementary ed division level, uh, you know, down to schools and school leadership, uh, remind teachers that uh, it's going to take time for kids to come back and get in that groove. And so we want to be focusing on practicing new routines and new expectations, and social emotional learning, and team building um, because. We didn't have that opportunity at the beginning of the year in the same way that we would have normally had it, doing this sort of thing in person. But what we did have is we did have a semester of online learning, which not, not 100% of our kids were participating in. There's no question. There are kids that came to school for the first time uh, when they came to us on January 19th. Or at the beginning of last week, if they're a third through sixth grader, because for whatever reason, they were not engaging in online learning, but they are with us in person now. And um, so in some ways, it it feels uh, very familiar, but the school start for us uh, in January was was different because. You had kids that were coming, you know, off the bus and coming into the classroom uh, that. Uh, they had not been in this classroom before. They had not been in the school yet this year. And yet, we still knew them, and we had relationship with them. And when I say we, I mean the classroom teacher in particular, and and potentially uh, staff members that may have uh, helped support them in uh, in Zooming and other online learning. So it it was a different feel for a school start coming back in person when you already had relationship with them, and maybe that has contributed to how smoothly things. Uh, have been in coming back, but um, it's, it's been very, very positive. Uh, we've heard lots of good things from uh, families who are very appreciative in having their, uh, their child come back to school and the, 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 uh, the sense of normalcy that it brings, even though it's an abbreviated school day. Our normal school day is uh, 9 a.m. to 3.30 for most of our elementary schools. In the anchor school district and our school day now it actually starts at 9 30 in the morning and uh dismisses at three o'clock um but but uh for all that uh there is a, a great sense of of normalcy and uh and people have appreciated that and it's just great to have kids kids there in person and uh you know we're not we're not able to uh you know, give the the hugs and the high fives that we would normally give. Um, but being able to see somebody, you know, from, you know, three to six feet away, eyeball to eyeball and, and smile at them through your mask and say, it is so great you're here. Um, that counts for a lot
1: absolutely and um one thing that you said that really stood out to me was um like this weird phenomenon of feeling like you know people but you don't really and i know like I had the same experience a few weeks ago when I met up with one of my classmates for the first time. We went and got coffee together, and it was so bizarre because I was like, "I feel like I know her. I've seen her bedroom before." But we've like it's so like you said, it's really um, a whole new experience when you get to meet these people in person.
2: I think about the resilience that our uh, our students have developed. Um, over the the last year, and it was kind of summed up for me by my um, uh, by one of my grandchildren, my grandson, who's a kindergartner this year. Uh, they um, he was lo- really looking forward to starting school again um, when uh, pre K through uh, second grade was coming back on the 19th. And uh, we didn't actually start technically on the 19th because uh, the 19th we had a weather day. And so, well, we did start, but we didn't have students come in person because uh, the road conditions were so bad. So he uh, he got up and he was all excited on the 19th, ready to go to school. And his, his mom said, hey, buddy, I'm afraid, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to go to school today because of that the roads are so bad and And he just said, "Well, I guess that's okay. I'll still oh, get to see my friends on Zoom, right?
1: That's so sweet
2: <laughs> Yes, yes, you will and then uh, and then talking about the next day, you know it's okay I'll, I'll I'll get to see them tomorrow when we go to school, right? And so that that flexibility and knowing that there's uh there's more than one way that we can um, engage in learning and engage in school and, um, uh, and that we can be flexible and it's going to be okay. Uh, it was, I, I just, I smiled so, uh, so big when, uh, when my daughter told me about that.
1: Yeah, that is so, so sweet. Oh my goodness. So we both know that kids can be really kind of germy. So um, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. steps are schools taking to ensure that kids follow and really understand the importance of these safety precautions?
2: Really, over uh, the course of the last number of years, we've really emphasized um, the importance of hand washing and, uh, and, and coughing and sneezing into your sleeve and that sort of thing, just in terms of you know, we're in the when we're in the cold and flu season, especially here in Alaska, when we're inside so much more than maybe other places in the country, um, that this has been sort of a continuation of that, and uh, and 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 providing more uh, more structured opportunities for that. In that. Uh, As as students enter the classroom, being uh, given hand sanitizer to come in and start the day with, um, how we uh, manage movement in the classroom and we don't let all the kids go piling into the coat area to hang up their backpacks and their coats and put away their boots and all that, um, that, you know, we'll have them come to their seats perhaps. And then in a structured way, have uh, small numbers of students go to hang up their things so that they're um, not all... You know, congregating in there and 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 getting too close, uh, and then uh, when it when it's lunchtime, having kids uh, in a in a structured way, everybody have an opportunity to wash their hands uh, and maybe sing the ABCs as they're washing their hands. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day that made it sort of like a train. This teacher had a train in their classroom where they uh, had kids file past the um the the soap dispenser squirt some soap in. They would walk around the the classroom singing the ABCs as they're as they're lathering their hands and getting in between the fingers and all that. and then uh, and then they get back to the sink and quickly, you know rinse and and uh, dry their hands and then um, and then uh, get a little um, the teacher will do a little spray on the on the desk and then the kids take their um, the paper towel and Wipe down the desk, throw it away, and then they're ready to eat. And uh, so there, there certainly are, are uh, there's a greater emphasis on hand hygiene and making sure that we, you know, kind of keep keep our masks on at all times unless uh, you're eating or unless you have permission. Some many classrooms have a, a, a place in the classroom if a student needs a mask break, particularly if. You know, when they're first transitioning to having wearing masks all all day, uh, and they're not as used to it, we did have opportunities for them to go and and uh, be unmasked for uh, you know a short period of time and then put their mask back on and and rejoin the group. So uh, we do have lots of hand sanitizing stations throughout the the school building uh, for for students and staff to make use of. And so, um, I see it sort of as an extension of of strategies or or emphasis that we've been putting on um, uh, personal health for a while, uh, but we certainly have have uh, em- emphasized that uh, this year because um, it, it, it benefits not just uh, ourselves but uh, but all of the people that we're around, family and and folks at school included.
1: So what is the plan as far as getting teachers vaccinated and how important is getting teachers vaccinated to the process of getting schooling back to normal?
2: Good question. So uh, we were very pleased that the the state adjusted their their phased approach for um, their vaccination tiers to include... um, educators, uh, frontline educators, and we encourage uh, our employees to do that. Um, But it is a decision that each person has to make whether or not uh, they need or want to uh, get the vaccine. There there are some folks that it's not recommended that they get the vaccine, uh, perhaps if they've had a serious um, uh, reaction to other vaccinations in the past, or if they may be uh, pregnant or uh, you know, expecting or nursing, I think, is another group. So, uh, we're certainly not mandating it. We we want to make that opportunity available to all of our staff that uh, that are that are interested. Um, but it's the right thing to do whenever we can, and uh, because we do want as many people vaccinated as as possible. We know that that's one of the uh, best paths uh, to herd immunity that we would like to achieve. Um, but it is not a prerequisite for our reopening uh, schools. Obviously, we we uh, started bringing elementary staff and students back before we had uh, broad-based vaccination available for our educators. Uh, but we're able to offer that more now in our community. And uh, so hopefully, by the time uh, secondary students Uh, start coming back in the building and mass at the beginning of fourth quarter, we'll have um, most, um, if not all of our of our staff that uh, that want to be vaccinated will have been vaccinated.
1: Awesome, Tim. Well, I really appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you so much.
2: You bet, Quinn. It was great talking with you.
0: We'll be right back. though all of us at Atmi have been working from home during the pandemic we're still looking for youth to join our team as a youth producer you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now edit audio record voiceovers help write scripts and much much more and it's all paid work so if you're between the ages of 13 and 24 living in alaska and interested in joining Atmi, go to alaskateenmedia.org join you can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org Now we're going to hear Quinn's interview with ASD Director Joe Zawadney.
1: So now that elementary schools have returned to in-person classes, how are you and your team observing how that's going and how will it inform plans for reopening middle and high school?
3: Yeah, so it's been really nice to be working with the elementary side um, to kind of help create some of the processes and some of the um, safety plans that are um, necessary for reentry. Um, we've learned a lot from, you know, um, some of the experiences that schools have had uh, and that administrators have had as they've brought, you know, students and teachers back. And so as we've been watching them, uh, watching the elementary schools um, sort of wade through some of the Some of the issues that we knew might arise as far as, you know, students coming in who um, maybe have symptoms or teachers who maybe have symptoms. Um, We've been able to work with elementary to make sure that we have the right plans in place to, you know, to cope with some of those issues as well. Uh, You know, the other piece is that we have had students back in our building since January uh, in smaller numbers. They're definitely not, you know, um, full grade levels. But we have had students coming in and and uh, work with teachers in smaller groups, which has allowed us and given us time to work through some of our mitigation safety strategies and, you know, make sure that we're, um, you know, that we're doing as much right as we can with the small group uh, in preparation for all students coming back.
1: So how will the school day look when high schoolers and middle schoolers are able to return to in-person learning?
3: So that first day. Uh, March fifteenth. That's going to be for our new to new to school kids who've never actually probably set foot in their school before. So our sixth graders at some of our middle schools, our seventh graders, um, and then our freshmen at our high school levels. Those those students are going to come back a day early, a uh, day earlier than the rest of the students, just to kind of be able to see the campus and and learn where different places uh, in the building are. Um, then starting on Tuesday, all of our middle and high school students will be back if they've chosen to come back. Um, you know, it's going to be a three-period day, um, just like we have been doing all year—three uh, classes at a time. You know, we're on a shorter period, uh, shorter day length. It's five and a half hour day, and so you know, it that gave us time to really focus on you know trying to get as much of a semester's worth of content to students in a quarter's length of time. Um, You know, it minimizes the number of times students are in the hall and passing, you know, and we've done some other things to the physical setting of the school for safety reasons. Um, You know, we don't have lockers this year. Um, Students during passing are not going to use the restroom. They're going to do that during class time. Trying to just, you know, move students from point A to point B as quickly as possible with as much distance as possible, um, just to try and ensure safety in some areas where usually things are a little you know, less regulated. This year, all students in the school district have um, have had free meals available to them. So when students come to school fourth quarter, they'll be able to pick up their breakfast and a snack, uh, and then students will um, will go home at the end of the day with a with a meal that they can cook at home. Um, and so again, just a way to try and decrease the amount of times we have. Students milling about and um, us having to regulate and keep them apart and make sure they have masks on and things like that. And so the the shorter day really was a way for the district to minimize contact time between students. Um, I'll add to that, um, you know, the the school day for students who choose to return in March, um, they'll be in person in school Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then all students will be at home on Wednesdays. Where they'll still be getting instruction from teachers, Um, you know, this year we were on Wednesday's students learned asynchronously, which means they were kind of doing some work without direct uh, teacher support on Wednesday's fourth quarter teachers will be teaching via zoom. uh, For those students who don't feel comfortable coming back or for those students who have come back, but feel like they need a little more support in their classes. And so um, it just gives our teachers some more time to make sure that the content that they're uploading um, into our online system is current, uh, that they're you know, getting everything done for, for grading. And, and again, really to support those students who still don't feel safe to come back physically to the building.
1: So how does online learning affect students who are pursuing higher educational opportunities? And what about student athletes who are depending on scholarships to be able to attend college? Uh,
3: Those are good questions. Um, you know, we've, we've in the district, we've had programs in place for years that provided online instruction for those students who wanted it. It hasn't been as widely available as it is right now. Um, you know, our ASD virtual um, online program offers you know the full academic really um, array of classes for students um, that they would get in an in-person setting. Um, and so you know we've we've been able to offer students those courses that they normally would have taken to be prepared for uh, for college. We have the Alaska Middle College, which is a program that um, we implemented uh, two years ago now, fully. Um, and it's provided students with an opportunity to take, you know, um, college-level courses while, while completing their high school requirements, you know, and that's a program that continues to grow. Um, and so I think, you know, the opportunities for students um, aren't necessarily um, uh, diminished so much as they maybe look different. Um, and we're struggling with those those same areas of of uh, college preparatory work that other districts in the nation are as well. You know, and, um, you know, where students are used to taking the SATs and ACTs and, uh, and AP classes at certain times and in certain venues, um, that's all changed. And and colleges are having to at this point, you know, roll with those changes and change some expectations that have been in place for a long time. Um, Simply because we have um, schools and districts that, you know, haven't returned for over a year and might not return uh, for a year, depending on the location. Um, You know, and and as you mentioned, as a part of that experience, we have a lot of students that expect to uh, pursue collegiate athletics, you know, and rely on scholarships and some of the other benefits that come from that. And so, you know, we still we have students who have received scholarships for um, for. Uh, athletics at colleges for next year um, and I think that's something that the colleges have had to uh, really adjust as well as they're thinking in their thinking is that a lot of schools have not had in-person competition for a year now um, you know and and we've certainly had to uh, scale back what we can offer students and what the competition level sports might look like um, and as you know just even what practice looks like depending on um, where we've been in the in the pandemic, and so um, again, I don't think the opportunities for students have decreased. Um, colleges are still, you know, are still hoping to get the best athletes possible to come and and play for them and and take advantage of their um, of their coursework. But what has changed is, um, you know, maybe some of that recruiting and scouting that may have happened in the past um, to to bring students in. I think it falls a little more now maybe on some athletes to advocate for themselves and make sure that colleges know they're there and that they're ready to play.
1: We both know that high school is a really important time for young people with events like prom and graduation. So how are schools addressing the losses of these special events?
3: Uh, Well, so this year, um, you know, we, we have some new plans in place for graduation. Um, Last year's, as you might have heard or might remember, um, graduations uh, took place online, right? We um, typically in the school district, our graduations for high school, uh, they occur at the Sullivan Arena, families come, you know, it's a celebratory atmosphere, you know, large crowds and the sort of environment that we just really can't, um, can't have right now for safety reasons due to the pandemic. Uh, So last year we had our graduations via Zoom or pre-recorded and it was really difficult for those uh, seniors I know to um, reach that milestone that really important time in their life and not be able to celebrate it in the way that they had envisioned for years. Um, This year um, some of those same um, worries and, and safety needs that are in place in the community are still limiting us as far as what we can offer families but this year we are um, going to be able to be able to offer our high school students outdoor graduations. Um, those, are, those are taking place at the actual schools themselves, uh, larger stadiums. Um, you know, I think most of our schools are doing it on their own their own site. Uh, and we're going to have to limit again the number of people that can be there. You know, we have we have our school district safety measures, and then we also have, you know, those safety measures that the municipality has implemented. Uh, and so we still have to be cognizant and, you know, be aware that we can only have so many people in a given space. We can only, you know, we have to maintain a certain distance between folks. And so um, those are still some things that we will have to have in place. But this year, we will be able to have a stage. We will be able to have, you know, the the principal and the valedictorian you know, and the the staff speaker get to make you know make those speeches, and it's going to look more like what a normal graduation would would have in the past. It's still definitely going to um, you know be a smaller event, um, and which is maybe nice for some families. Maybe it's a little more intimate, right? And they can they get to really um, enjoy that time with their student. Um, most schools are going to have to limit you know the number of family members that can come because you can really only you know, have a certain number of people in those stadium areas.
1: So speaking of extracurricular activities, what about things like clubs? Are those still active? And if so, how are those things operating?
3: Yeah, we still have clubs at our high schools. Um, we still have some activities going on at middle schools. They look, they're, you know, I think they look like kind of your classes do right now at secondary. They're via Zoom. Uh, they're smaller groups. Uh, they're not. I'm sure they're not as fun and, and engaging and as exciting as you would um, have experienced if they were in person. But I think a lot of what students are looking for right now is trying to maintain that connection with their peers and continue to, you know, take in new experiences and grow themselves, um, you know, so that they're ready for that next phase in life, whatever it might be. And so we, you know, we still do have clubs, um, you know, we still have spelling bees, we still have a lot of the same activities. They just, um, they're on Zoom, right? They're online, they're, they're happening virtually. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the pieces of the high school and middle school experience that has really changed for students um, is they, they're looking forward to that unique experience and um, it, it may be occurring, but it's it's definitely not an in-person one. So the hope is that we, here in fourth quarter as we go back. Um, you know, I'm sure we're going to have some situations like we have it at elementary and as we've seen in, in other school districts around our state and the country where we'll have maybe classrooms shutting down or or even schools shutting down if there's um, outbreaks of covid, um, you know, or some community transmission. Um, but as long as we can continue to be safe in the community and keep our schools open, then we can start to open up some of those clubs and start to open up more of our sports um, and do so safely. And, um, you know, that just perpetuates safety in other areas. And hopefully um, if we can continue that through the summer, um, we can look at a more normal start to next year where we can do some of those activities and you know maybe next year's seniors can have a prom and can um, the athletes can can compete across the state um, and really be in top running for some of those programs
1: sure we can definitely definitely only hope but that kind of leads me into my next question um how worried are you at the possibility of a coronavirus outbreak at one of your schools
3: you know i I wouldn't say I'm worried i am a pragmatist. I understand as a realist that we're going to have students and, and or staff come to school and test positive. That's going to happen. Um, you know, all the safety measures um, you know, in the world aren't going to keep that from occurring this, this next year. And you look at our elementaries and you know, students are wearing masks and, and using hand sanitizer and keeping distance and really doing a great job um at at behaving in a way that helps us ensure safety um but we still have families that that come in and and have COVID or, or they have symptoms and um or they're a close contact with somebody who has who has had it and so you know we know it's going to happen we know we're going to have students and staff that have to miss school uh, or work due to coronavirus and so we have really put a lot of time and resources into ensuring that they can continue to do their job and learn content from home. Like they have been all year and then return back to the building when they're safe to do so, you know, and so I think it's, it's more a matter of uh, the district being prepared to handle it when it happens, as opposed to, um, you know, uh, you know, just hoping that it doesn't. And, And that preparedness piece has been something that, we have committed to for our community for so long. And obviously, I mean, we haven't gone back to school until now at the secondary level and at elementary, not till, you know, January on a wide scale, um, we've taken a lot of precautions and, um, you know, we believe it's, it's time and we believe it's safe, uh, to, to give it a try. And, and if, you know, if it turns out that it's not safe, we're gonna, um, we'll return to an online environment because, uh, while it's, Definitely not the best form of education that uh, students can get. I, I certainly believe it. it has been successful in accomplishing some of the missions of the district to keep kids progressing. Um, you know, and it, which kind of leads me to thinking about, you know, this summer and, you know, just so you know, where we have um, a really robust um, summer school program that we're planning for this summer so that we can continue to get students access to content they may have missed or content they struggled with Um, you know we're hoping to get any student who failed a class or you know didn't get that mark they needed to come back and and continue to receive that instruction hopefully in person so that they're more prepared for next year Um, we know that there's going to be some significant learning loss from just um, having spent a year online Um, and so we're going to try to make up for as much of that as possible this summer
1: I'm sure you've seen a lot of stuff in the news about how um, a lot of schools out in the valley, in particular, have had to shut back down due to COVID cases. So, is the Anchorage School District in contact with the Matsu School District about how reopenings are going out there? And are you watching what they're doing and trying to learn from their models?
3: Oh, certainly. We're we're watching. Um, you know the the the. Um... Matsue School District, Kenai, Fairbanks. Those are districts that we partner with. Our superintendents are in communication, and you know, and as administrators, we watch the news, right? And we look at, um, you know, uh, when when you see that a school or a, a portion of a school has had to shut down, you look at, you know, what were those mitigating factors? What led to that? And uh, and we try to learn from it. And I think what some something we've learned this year is, you know, you can put you can put a you know, all the, all the safety measures in place, you know, that you can control for, there's just some things you can't control for. Um, before this school year even started, we, you know, we started um, high school sports, you know, in July, and we put together really robust mitigations, you know, strategies where students had to have their temperature taken before they got on the field, you know, had to continually use hand sanitizer, keep distance, wear masks, you know, decrease the amount of time that you are in contact with certain equipment, just all in, you know, in, a, in, a, in an effort to ensure the safety of students. And you can do all those things and be really regulated in, on the field. <clears throat> you know, but then when students leave and they get in the car with each other and they don't wear masks or they go to a party on the weekend, it, you know, it can have really devastating effects on that, that, that group, that community. Um, and so that's what we've been looking at, at, at the, at the other districts in the state that have, have reopened is, you know, what, what strategies have they used? Where have they, um, you know, where have they struggled and what can we learn from that? And I think, um, you know, you know, part of my day is, is reading news about other districts across the nation and what they've been doing, you know, to try and, um, reenter school safely and, um, You know, a lot of what I read is um, about districts who are trying to reopen and going through the exact same struggles we are and, you know, putting forth the same level of care in making those decisions so that, you know, at the time you make the best decision you can. And and if it doesn't work, then you um, make course adjustments and try again.
1: For sure. It's definitely a community-wide effort. Um, So... We, I know we covered a lot in our conversation today, but is there anything else that um, we didn't get to cover that you might like to add?
3: Um, we are, you know, continuing to um, ensure that technology is there for students who need it. Um, we've been delivering to schools this week. Um, some better cameras and, and recording equipment for teachers if they want to record uh, labs or certain lessons and upload them to the, their online course so that students who are at home have a better experience. So we have some of those, um, we call them Zoom kits. those are going out to schools right now for teachers to use. You know we're still ensuring that all of our students have you know adequate technology and internet at home. So we're continuing to do some of those things because you know even when we go back to school, We're going to continue using those online tools Uh, and I see a lot of, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the things we've learned this year are going to help impact, you know, us in the future and ensure that we have a better product for our students. So, um, you know, we have to continue to make sure students have access to the education online because, um, you know, we may find ourselves in a situation like other districts have where we need to shut a school down for a few days and then those those students would continue to go to school just online like they are right now. Um, and so the district just continues to make those um, those adjustments and, and um, keep making progress as far as technology and content. And one of the great things about our community is uh, we continue to get feedback about ways we can improve. We continue to get feedback about, you know, some of those pieces that folks think we're doing well and that helps, uh, helps guide us in the future um, to make sure that it just continually gets better and better for our students.
1: Awesome. Well, Joe, I really, really appreciate your time. That's all I have for you.
3: No, I appreciate you inviting me on again. I'm always happy to talk to you, Quinn.
1: Always, always a pleasure. Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
3: I will. You do have a great weekend.
0: That was At Senior Producer Quinn White speaking with ASD Director Joe Zawagny. You've been listening to Podcast in Place, Youth Stories from Quarantine from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengoss with additional music by Kendrick Whiteman. Stay tuned for more stories from quarantine youth. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org where we have included resources for youth during quarantine in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Team Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the denine people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including John O'Hara and James McCoy. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our program and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easier for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash Media. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, and writing a review for our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, and find out how you can get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Ryan Danigal. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.